0: Isn't it good to be a part of God's story, amen? Listen, I'm going to tell you, I've been in, in, in full-time ministry now for uh, almost 25 years, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is probably one of my, uh, the days that I'm most excited about ever in all of, of uh, our ministry, Amanda and I and, and, uh, and our girls. And, and uh, today we have a very special missionary to Austria. And I'm gonna let her tell about herself, but she happens to be my younger sister, uh, Carrie Brenneger. Um, when Pastor Rob he had Carrie scheduled to come and speak, and and he said, you know, now Mary Beth and I won't be in town, and uh, and so I said, so Carrie and I got together, and 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 I asked him, can we do something together? And um and and he said we could, so we have his permission. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but, Carrie, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you and your family, and and what God has been using you guys to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my husband Zach is actually still in Vienna right now. He is um, overseeing and leading a, a a camp for for kids. So. Uh, He'll be back. He'll be in the country later this month. But um, I'm just really excited to be able to share with you guys Um, our family, my kids, Kai and Mia. We have been on the mission field since 2007. Um, Actually, my son uh, was born while we were in China. So we spent 12 years a part of the Northern Asia um, missions organization through the Assemblies of God, and um, then God transitioned us literally months before COVID, and we had no clue. So we can see God's hand, right, moving uh, at the exact time. And he actually moved us to Vienna, Austria, where we have been there now for about two years, and we're working with an international church. So... At the International Church, we have people from all over the world, and it's amazing, probably 70-plus different nationalities represented in the congregations. And um, we have been able to work also in this time with Ukrainian refugees, uh, being able to feed them, give them clothes, um, help children, (coughs) and even um, provide for them to... Help them be able to go to camps so that their kids won't miss out on what God's doing. So um, we've had just so many opportunities and and just seeing how uh, even just in the city of Vienna, that God is using that city because it's so international to reach the world because people are coming from all over. So they come and then get to hear the gospel. And so many times they stay and so many times they go back to their home country, places that we never would have gotten to go, but they've gotten faith and they're able to take that back to their home country.
0: That's amazing. And and even as we just saw the little cartoon about Samuel and how the Lord spoke to Samuel when he when he was just a little boy mm. uh, there uh, uh, in in the temple, uh, talk to me about when you first received that. That call of the Lord to be a missionary.
1: Yeah. So, so I was actually 13. Jason's probably told you a lot about his story, and, and mine's very similar. We grew up in church. We we had lots of people uh, pouring into us. We had a great, healthy church like this one. Good kids ministry, good youth ministry, and it, it was just really. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that. Yes. Jason's been been my big brother, my protector all my life. He always walked around me, guarding me. <laughs> so um yeah so we grew up in a great healthy church that poured into young people and i think um for me it was also being exposed to missions Mm -hmm. just like you guys you and pastor rob you love missions so you want to put missions in front of people Uh, especially young people, because you know that young people can hear from God. So I was exposed to missions. I heard about it all my life, and I was about 13 years old when there was a missionary that came in, and he was just speaking about, you know, what God was doing in his part of the world, and it happened to be India, and so he was talking all about India, and, you know, from a young age as a little girl i thought i want to be a teacher and that's what i I thought i wanted to be but then he said you know what god uses is education and god uh is using somebody that might think i I just want to be a teacher and you know, it's like everybody else was gone. It was God just speaking to me. So it was that moment that I'm like, "Oh, God can use me, even though I want to be a teacher. He can use me overseas." And I started feeling that call, like a a, a deeper call to missions that I knew could change the world, even just one person. So it was it was a uh, pretty. <laughs> Pretty impactful. (laughs) Um, As you can see, is still reliving that those moments. Because if I took you back to my church, I could probably even show you where I was sitting. So that's still very impactful to think back. But in that time, hearing hearing that, I feel like um, that it was still something new and and kind of unknown and kind of like that. Like I'm not sure. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is God or me. Um, and so I, I still kind of struggled with, with that feeling like, is this something God really wants me to do or am I thinking this? Um, so I think it was, it was actually, um, my mom that one day I was in the car, she was taking me to school and I said something about feeling called to be a missionary and I said, but I don't know if it's me or if it's God. And she said, well, I mean, think about it this way. Most 13-year-olds don't want to give up everything and go move to the other side of the world. So she said, I'm thinking that's probably God. Yep. And I said, but, you know, what should I do? And she said, well, if God's calling you to do that, you got to do it. And, you know, Knowing, if you knew my mother, or know my mother, she's right there. Um, She doesn't like to see us cross the street alone, so for her to go, if God's calling you, you have to go, I knew, okay, well, God's already given her a piece about it, so I guess I have to go, because, you know, she still wouldn't let me cross the street, so, but she was okay letting me cross the world. Right.
0: It was awesome, even as uh, to see that call develop on Carrie's life. I'd walk into her room, and she would ha- had this corner of her room, and it had like an Indian, uh, Indian, India flag, yeah. and and different flags from around the world. And she would be in there praying for the nations. And I'm like, I, I was just wanting to watch the Braves game, <laughs> but uh, and uh, so so. Uh, but so, when you received that call, even at that young age, what what do you? Uh, how do you? How did you begin preparing for that call immediately?
1: I think just like, um, yeah, talking to to people, talking to leaders of faith that could kind of help guide me instead of just saying, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, but having people that would come around and help guide me and pray. I also did, you know, dove into the Word of God and and started praying and uh, started being a part of like discipleship programs that our youth pastor had. um, And that really helped kind of navigate. You know, what this call means. What does it, does it mean India? And I think so many times, like, I kept thinking, okay, it was India, because that's where the missionary was that spoke uh, when I was called. So I, I think that's kind of, I kept thinking, like, it has to be India. And and just having people around saying, okay, but also be open. Keep your hands open. Keep your mind and your heart open to what God has. Because it might not look exactly How you think and it never has in fact every time we've gone to the uh to the mission field we'll itinerate and then go nothing's ever looked (laughs) like we thought it would you know we've worn different hats we've done different roles we've uh stepped into things that we never expected but also things um, that was greater than we thought you know so um i think that just praying through and and I I never stopped talking about it. In fact, um, I connected with an old high school friend, and I said something about being a missionary and living overseas, and they they weren't surprised because they said, you talked about it all the time, so why wouldn't you have done it? Um, They were only surprised that I ended up in China and not India because I talked about India a lot. Well, when was the
0: first time you actively then started serving in the church? If you've received that call at 13, 13. I mean, when was the first time you you started serving in the church?
1: So, actually, even before that. So, um, we had uh, a wonderful couple that did, um, like, kids Sunday school. Even before you got to uh, kids church, we had this couple, Brother and Sister Wilson. And they actually were Rhonda's teachers, your teachers, my teachers. Um, And I loved them. I connected with them. And they taught, like, three, four and five year olds in Sunday school. So when I was about 12, they, you know, I wanted to help because I loved church. We were always there anyway. So I wanted to help. And so I said, how can I help? And they actually pulled me in and I worked with them, uh, you know, serving snacks, doing stuff like that. And then they said, you know what? I think you can teach the four-year-old Sunday school, and so at twelve-year-old, at twelve years old, I was given curriculum, and uh, and I was asked to teach the four-year-olds, and I loved it because I felt like, wow, they value me, they see me as somebody that can be used by God even at twelve. And so I was so excited. So I remember preparing lessons and crafts and stations and things like that. I talked about offering because I remember the little offering box that the kids would bring their offering to. Um, so it was, it was really impactful that they saw something in me, even at 12, that I could pour into others. And they just continued to, to pour into me as I did that.
0: You know, I, my story, I remember feeling the call of the Lord on my life at the age of 12. and But if you knew me at 12, you know, you see the little kids in the grocery store hiding behind their mom, you know, at three and four and five. That was me at 12. I mean, I was incredibly shy. And, and I mean, just and so the Lord is, like, you know, placing a call upon my life to preach. And I'm like, yeah, right, you know. Uh, and, and, and so I joined at 12 years old. I joined the puppet team. And and because behind a puppet stage and with a puppet on my hand, I was super creative. I would do, you know, funny voices. I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Okay, so I was, like, really creative, and my uh, brother-in-law, Reese, is like, what just happened? Um, And Behind the puppet stage, I, 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 you know, it was just, like, I could do whatever, and so one day preparing for practice, I was behind the puppet stage, the only one there, and a song was playing, and no one was in the room, and I began to sing a song, thinking that I was the only person in the room, and uh, out of nowhere pops the children's pastor, and he's like, ha-ha, you can sing, right? (laughs) And so... uh, Uh, you know, and so he gave me my my first soundtrack, and from going, uh, being a puppet, a puppeteer, (laughs) three weeks later, I'm singing in front of hundreds of of people at our home church on a Sunday morning, shaking, (laughs) Um, and, uh, but if it wasn't for getting involved at 12 years old as a, on the puppet team, I really, I wouldn't be here today, and so I want to tell you, parents it's important first of all for you to get involved in ministry for your kids to see you involved in ministry the reason we even knew that we could be involved is because as carrie said my mom my dad they were involved all the time every time the doors were open and we're like well we're here let's do it too so as your kids see you get involved They're going to get involved. And I want to tell you, the children's ministry here, uh, Amanda uh, oversees that ministry. And we have, I think, 15 to 20 of our youth students who are already working over there, serving over there from week to week. And you know what they're learning to do? They're learning to lead as they're following. And so it's super important to... uh, To uh, get your kids involved, first of all, get them here, Mm -hmm. and then you get involved and and get them involved. I want to tell you, you can tell a generation that lives for itself by looking at the value that it places on the development of its children. Right? You can tell if there's, there's a, a, a church or a, a government or whatever the case may be, you can tell uh, the, the importance they place on the development of children by how they live their life. Now, what we're finding in, in most of our churches across America, the majority of our churches, we, we are doing a lot of things to repair adults, mm-hmm. but we're not doing a lot of things to prepare children. And I believe this, if we did a better job of preparing children, there'd be a whole lot less repairing of adults. Do you believe that? Mm-hmm. Now, and it doesn't just go, Carrie, in our church. It's, it's If we look at the government, uh, the government spending, I looked up this, this uh, it was really a sad stat, okay? It says for every dollar spent on the development of children, $7 is spent on the rehabilitation of adults. So, seven to one it's repairing adults rather than preparing kids. Carrie, talk to me about the the preparation of kids and of students uh in China yeah. and then in Europe as well.
1: So when we were in China, of course, everybody knows about the underground church um and uh you know, there there's so many laws and restrictions, but there are also a few um, government-sanctioned churches that they allow the church to exist. However, even in those areas, the ones that the government says, okay, you, you can exist, they do not allow anything for children because they feel like it's almost brainwashing. If you have children in church at a young age, they think it's brainwashing. Well, because
0: they do a good job. Exactly, (laughs) because
1: they start teaching Mao's um, uh, sayings and, and those things at four years old. They have to start memorizing. Um so at 4 they have to start learning all about Mao and what he said but they can't go to church. So um so when we were there we actually did a children's ministry seminar for the leaders of the underground church in our city. And it was just so powerful. It was amazing because things that we think are so so uh simple like Object lessons, you know, doing a simple object lesson to uh, show how kids can, can see, you know, how you would do an object lesson, something simple like having a backpack with bricks in it and talking about how when you, give, uh, when you give your worries to the Lord, it's like taking the bricks out of your backpack and then you're free, something simple like that. The leaders were like, whoa, that is amazing. I've never thought about doing that, and it was just something uh, that we got to teach—just very simple tactics on how to minister to kids and how to show value in ministering to kids. And so they—they they didn't understand. But you know, even in the education system, uh, they start just really, really pressing in at four years old. Kids in China have to start preschool, what we would call preschool. But it's intense school, that they would come home with two hours of homework a night, a four-year-old. And they would just have this intense pressure that continued, that didn't, it kind of stole their childhood. You know, and even Christian parents would say, oh, my kids don't have time for church because of school. And, you know, you think about how some of that mentality is starting to creep in a little bit here that we we 're shifting, and, and so just kind of always if you ever say that sentence, my kids don 't have time for church because of ba-ba-ba-ba. just remember <laughs> that's that's a slippery slope, um, but uh yeah, so many parents um, they' even the Christian parents say, "Oh, my kids will go to church after they 're done with their studies, and so many of us know it's we can't there's very little you can do after they're done with college. You can't change the course of time. Now, in Austria, and in a lot of parts of Europe, um, they have an intense pressure like that as well, but it's a little later. They wait till fourth grade um, for that intense pressure. Uh, So often, they are put on, based on their testing and their scores in the local schools, they're put on a track, um, either a track that says, you have the ability, you're smart enough, you can go to college, or a track that says you probably won't be able to make it to college. So at fourth grade, about 10 years old, uh, they would be told whether they are uh, able to go to college. Um, I I know at 10 years old, I wasn't making, you know, I I wasn't making the the great study um, uh, choices that I would need to say college or not. So it's just intense pressure that they're feeling. And again, um, the value of education and that kind of thing outweighs anything that people see, um, the value of pouring into them the the concept of Jesus. Right.
0: And that's interesting though, that you talk about China, it's at four years old and they're like, you know, all the pressure and you've got to prepare for your future. And Europe, it's fourth grade. I, I remember when we worked on the college campus out in California, I would talk to students and they would talk about the intense pressure that they felt then there at, at this major university and 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 it, it sort of struck me as as i 'm talking with you we're preparing for this that that it seems like in the u s we we, we we kind of coddle our students in the name of protecting them in the name of oh i you know i 'm going to be their their person i 'm going to be their shelter and, and while that 's all really, really good i 'm not saying we should at four or in, or in fourth grade, but I want to tell you, we need to model to our students doing difficult things, yeah. giving them opportunity to do hard things and fall on their face, right? Because you know, if we look at getting back to Samuel, you know, Samuel was uh, twelve years old, living there with uh, in, in the temple with the priest Eli in First Samuel uh, chapter two, verse eleven. It says, then Elkanah, which was Samuel, Samuel's uh, father, went home to Ramah, and the boy, who was the boy? Samuel. Samuel. The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And so first, let's look at 1 Samuel 2.18. 1 Samuel 2.18. Samuel, again, was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen now let's go to first samuel 3 verse 1 you see where i'm going okay now the boy samuel was ministering to the lord in the presence of eli and the word of the lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision i want to stop there for a moment because it says samuel the 12 year old was ministering before the Lord, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, we do know this, and we saw it on the cartoon. It wasn't too much later after Samuel is ministering to the Lord over and over and over in the presence of the priest. Okay? The priest is like, I wish the Lord would speak to me, right? And the scripture says the presence of the Lord was rare, or the voice of the Lord was rare, but we know that God chose to speak to who? He chose to speak to the kid, to the boy, to the 12-year-old. And, 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 he, and he calls him by name. And it took him three times. And finally he says, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. Carrie, I believe this. I believe that if the Lord prepared a Samuel then, that he's got Samuels in China. He's got Samuels in Austria. And I know he has Samuels here. People, students, kids that are going that are going to hear the voice of God, and I want to tell you that already are hearing the voice of God. I say this from time to time. There is no junior holy Spirit, right. <laughs> you know the Holy Spirit is not like well i 'm going to speak to you because you 're an adult, yeah. and I've I got a little something for you, kid. No, there is no junior holy Spirit; He speaks to kids, sometimes they 're more willing and able to hear, listen. Uh, and respond uh, uh, at, at a young age, and so I, I say all of that to say: talk to your kids, talk to your grandparents, uh, your grandkids if you're a grandparent. If you're a grandparent, get with your kids and and practice them hearing the voice of God. We say, well, how do you do that? Pray with them, read the Word with them, tell them, ask them, what do you think the Lord is speaking to you? I've told this story before and I'll tell it quickly. There was a young girl on the college campus at Fresno State University and she, she had given her heart to the Lord. She, she had, had been a, a Christian for about three weeks. And uh, I met her, and we're talking, and she began to prophesy to me. She didn't necessarily know she was. And, and so she began to tell me things that the Lord was speaking to me, and it was confirming things to me, confirming, confirming, confirming. And she you know, she began to speak things that only the Lord knew. And I stopped her, and I said, What gives you the boldness to tell me, <laughs> a pastor of 23 years, right? What gives you the boldness to prophesy to me you've been a Christian for three weeks and she said well the person who led me to the Lord told me that the Lord wanted to speak to me and use me to speak to others and she said I guess I believed him mm, that's good. amen listen I want to tell you as as a parent as a grandparent as a teacher as someone just within the church you might say well I don't have Any kids, I'm going to tell you, those of you that helped and gave and encouraged our students to go to forward, it was a life-changing moment, and you were a part of that, but you can be a part of more. Listen, Jesus said this, follow me to his disciples, right? Follow me and do what I do. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ and do what I do. And so here at Upcountry Church, we always talk about, hey, we want to make disciples and reach the lost. We start in our homes. We start in our homes making disciples who are reaching the lost. I know Carrie led people to the Lord when she was in you know, junior high school and high school. It's like make disciples in your own homes and, uh, and reach the lost. And so Jesus said, follow me, do what I do. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, do what I do. And as a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or someone who is just here in the church that can influence our students, that's our, our goal, follow me. And let me prepare you. And let me disciple you. And, 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 and I want to tell you, that is our goal. That is our, uh, uh, our desire. That is our mission as, as a church. And so um, I, I, I want you to know and tell you a little bit about what's happening in our youth ministry every single week. If you come in, our, our band, our worship band, and they're good. You're going to hear them play in, in, in the near future. Uh, our worship band is fully led by students. Uh, every week, one of our students gives a little five-minute message, a challenge. Uh, our students are the greeters. Our students are the ushers. Our students is, are, are, are it's fully led by students. Now, they let the old guy come in and preach uh, every week. But I, I, I heard one of the greatest youth pastors of all time, Jeannie Mayo. She said this. You can't call it a youth ministry if the youth aren't doing the ministry. Mm. And so, uh, Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Listen, I want everybody in this place to stand up on your feet. I want you to stand up on your feet because if we're going to make disciples and win the lost, it starts with you and me.